Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning to you again. Great to see all of you here. Great to have those of you joining us online as well. So i got a question for you. I'm not looking for you to answer it out loud, but just a question. Why did Jesus come? Really? Why did he come? Well, Jesus gives some answers to that. At one point he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Another place he says that the Son of Man, talking about himself, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And so, you know, if we were trying to answer that question, we would probably say, well, he came to be our Savior, right? He came to provide a way for us to be saved. But Jesus answered this question one more way. And it's a little bit different, but very, very important. And we find this recorded in his conversation with Pilate uh, during his trials. And so Pilate asked him a question, who are you, what are you doing, you know, what's this all about? And it says, Jesus answered, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Now that sounds a little bit different, right, than coming to be the Savior of the world. I've come to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate's response to him was, well, what is truth? And we really see here um, the two main ideas about truth in our world that are right there. One is a sense that there is truth and it can be known. And then there's a sense of what Pilate said, well, what is truth? And how can you even know what is truth? And we see both those things in the world. But Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. Well, what what was he talking about when he said this? Uh, So let's try to answer Pilate's question. What is truth? Well, truth is this. It is information or ideas that match the way things really are. Okay, that is something that is true. If I say there is light in this room, that's a statement. I'm making a fact. And the, is there light in this room? Okay, so that statement is true because it matches the reality. You know, I could say that this chair is black. The back of this chair is black, okay? And so we can, you know, figure out well, what is black and look at this and measure it and say, well, okay, that's what? True. That the color of the back of this chair is black. We could say, my name is Walt. And you could do some research and find out, sure enough, It is. That's a true statement. Now, when Jesus said, I've come to bear witness to the truth, he wasn't talking about these kinds of things. Okay? He wasn't talking about whether there's light in this room or the chair's black or my name is Walt. He's talking more about ideas. So let's think about ideas a little bit here. I'll give you an example. If you um, ever studied logic, if anybody ever made you study logic, a very important, one of the very basic rules of logic and thinking rationally is that called the law of non-contradiction. Now, I'll give you the formal statement and then we'll talk about it. What this means is that A and not A 
cannot both be true at the same time in the same sense. That would be a contradiction. Can't happen. Okay? And uh, that would be like saying, is the back of this chair black? And by any just normal understanding of, of words and what black is, would we agree that that's the color? But if I said, no, it's not black. It is black, but it's not black. Well, it can't be both black and not black at the same time in the same sense, can it? Right? So when we say that the law of non-contradiction is true, it's a true statement. So that, that's an idea. But even this, I don't think that when Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth, he's so much focused on those kinds of ideas. Although the truth really matters, as we're going to see. But he was talking about bigger ideas. How about the idea that God exists? God exists. That's a big idea, isn't it? All right. Is it true? Well, for me, I look at lots of evidence and I just think logically about it and it just becomes to me so apparent that God absolutely does exist. And so if I were to say I believe God exists, I'm right telling you that I believe it's true. That it's really true that God exists. And these kind of ideas are worldview ideas. How do we look at the world? And These are the kinds of truths that Jesus said I came to bear witness to. And more than that, but certainly these kinds of things. So we think about worldview truth claims, right? Truth claims. Uh, so we have this, that there, first of all, there really is a God, okay? That is a truth claim, isn't it? Okay? And so Jesus came to bear witness to the truth that God does indeed exist, okay? Uh, another worldview truth claim is that we really are separated from him by our sin. This is one of the things that he came to bear witness to, one of these ideas, one of these truths. Uh, and then Jesus really is the Son of God who died for our sins, rose again from the dead, and can give us eternal life. It's another one of those big worldview truth claims. Uh, because when you accept these things as true, it at least has the potential to shape everything else in your life, doesn't it? Whether or not this is black or not doesn't have the power to shape your life. But whether or not God exists and He's the only way to have your sins forgiven and receive eternal life, that matters, doesn't it? And so Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. And what we learn from this and from our passage of Scripture today is that truth really matters. Can you say that with me today? Truth really matters. If you go ahead and put that slide up, that'd be great. Truth really, really matters. So let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians. And we've, uh, a couple weeks ago, we started in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. And today we're going to work our way through chapter 2. It's on page 1360 in the Bible that's under the chairs in front of you there. And if you don't have your own Bible, we really encourage you to pick that up and follow along. Page 1360. Now, to, to save us some time, let me just give you an overview here. The Thessalonians, we, we, we you know, read about them in, in uh, the first letter, Paul's first letter to them, and we find that, you know, they had just, it was, it was almost a miracle of God how their lives had changed and the way their church was, especially since it was suffering severe persecution. And one of the things Paul talks to them about in 1 Thessalonians, he says, listen, 
You know, some people have already died, but I want you to know that, that we're all looking forward to that time when Jesus comes back and takes all of us believers out of the world. And the term we use to refer to that event is the, some of you, that's right, the rapture. Okay, the rapture of the church, that God takes all of the believers, both who, those who have died, he raises them, and those who are still alive, he takes them and changes them, and takes them to heaven to be with him. Now, Paul had taught them that this is the beginning of God's judgment on the earth. The time period which we, if you may have heard, the great tribulation. It's also referred to as the day of the Lord, not referring to one day, but to this time of judgment, the day of the Lord. And so that's what comes. The rapture occurs, and then it ushers in that time. And at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus will literally return to the earth. We will return with him, and he will set up his kingdom on earth. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, what happened with the Thessalonians, and we see in the, in the first letter, they were trying to say, well, wait, what about the people who died? What's going to happen to them? And he said, don't worry, they're going with us in the rapture. And now somebody has been telling them, you know what? The rapture already happened. And, and some, we, we missed it. <laughs> you missed it. We missed it. And the day of the Lord is already here and this judgment of God is coming. And one of the reasons they thought that is because they were suffering some pretty bad persecution. Well, maybe this is the day of the Lord. And so Paul is going to answer this question in this chapter and let them know. He says, no, no, no way. The rapture has not occurred because the, um, if the rapture had occurred, here's the kinds of things you'd be seeing. And he actually talks about the revealing of the Antichrist and what he will do on earth. Okay. And he says, you're not seeing that. So guess what? The rapture hasn't happened yet. All right. And, and this was affecting the way they were living too, as we'll see more when we get to chapter three. All right. So let's read here. Chapter two, verse one. Now, brethren, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, although as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the sin of perdition. So... Um, I think this idea of the falling away, and, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this today, but is that once God takes all of the true believers out of the world, who's left as far as Christians? People who would claim to be Christians, people who maybe are members of a, of a religious organization or, or, or just think that they are, but they've never settled their relationship with Christ. So they're here, and the pressure is going to be high. The evil is going to be strong, and there will be this major, they're going to scatter, okay, because they aren't true Christians to begin with. All right, so he says that has to come, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, perdition means destruction. And then it describes him, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Does that sound like a bad idea? Uh-huh. Definitely does. Now, just it, the thought just crossed my mind as I was reading this here is, do you ever take God's place in your life? Where you all of a sudden become Lord of your own life? 
Isn't that what he's describing here? He sits as God in the temple. Well, you're the temple of God, and yet sometimes you kind of push God aside and you sit down and take his place. Does that sound like a good idea? But we do it, so we need to really take to heart the things we're going to look at here today. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And so Paul is saying that, look, the, the Satan is already at work in this world. He's already at work trying to bring about his will instead of God's. But the Holy Spirit holds him back. Do you know how good that news is for you and me? Because if the Holy Spirit did not hold the enemy back, what would he do for it to you? What would he do to me? All right, so God is holding him back. He's holding the enemy back. But there's coming a time when he will stop holding them back. And this is what occurs during the day of the Lord, during the tribulation, during this time. And so when, when the Holy Spirit no longer restrains, no longer holds back, this Antichrist will be revealed in the, the power of Satan at work through him. So let's continue reading. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So when the Lord returns, he's going to deal with that. But in the meantime, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers, signs, and lying wonders. Again, aren't you glad that if you, you know Christ, you won't be here? Now, we may suffer severe persecution before these things happen, but we won't be here for this. And that is very, very good news. And he continues describing his working, verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception, among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And we're going to come back and look at those verses in a minute. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So let's talk about this just a little bit. Who did God choose to save? Who did God choose to save? Well, it tells us here that there's two things going on when a person gets saved. One is sanctification by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working and, and setting apart this person for, for God's working in his life or her life, right? The Holy Spirit is working, and then the person does what? Believes in the truth. And so who did God choose before he ever created anything? He chose those who would respond to his Holy Spirit's prompting by believing in Christ, by believing the truth. So who could get saved? Important question. Who can get saved? Anybody can get saved. They just have to respond to the Lord's drawing, whether it's, you know, starting with creation or with their own nature and makeup, or if they thank, hopefully get to hear the gospel, they need to believe that and respond and be saved. Now, does God, did, did God know before he ever created the world who would believe? 
Yes, he did. He's all-knowing. He knows the future. He knows. But what I want you to see is that in that sense, God knew me. He knew me that on April 4th, 1975, I would finally give in and surrender to him and receive Jesus as Savior. He knew that. So, can the people that he didn't know would get saved get saved? This is a trick question. And it's not fully a trick question. My wife answered this question for me years ago because she's a lot more practical than I am sometimes. I painted this big picture to her and we were talking about what the Bible says about God's for and all that kind of stuff. And I said to her, so, only the people that God knew would get saved could get saved, right? Nobody else can get saved. And she said, that's not true. What do you mean? She said, they can, they just won't. Well, that's true. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? In other words, God's foreknowledge of who will be saved does, is not causation. He doesn't make them get saved. And he doesn't prevent anybody from getting saved. But he does know. And I want you to tell you that that means that when he created the world, he knew about you. He knew your needs. He loved you. And he did all that we read about in the scriptures to save you. That's good news, isn't it? All right, so let's continue. Verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, live out the things we told you. And like I said, chapter 3, we'll see some places where this had become a problem. Verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. All right, let's go back to verse 10. We're going to look through verse 10 and verse 13 again because there's some really important things here to understand. Talking about Satan's working through the Antichrist, he says, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. And, and why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. All right, I'm going to elaborate on that in a minute. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. What? That doesn't sound right, does it? On the face of it, that God is going to send them this, some kind of delusion so that they believe the Antichrist and so that they believe the lie. Why would God do that? Well, the next verse, he gives us some insight into that. He says, verse 12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So they made their choice, and God is honoring their choice. So he is talking, I think, very clearly here, not about, I mean, how many of you, of you have friends, uh, maybe family members, who you say, they just, they really don't understand the gospel. I kind of tried to explain it to them, I tried, but they, they just don't really get it. How many of you would say, I have someone like that in my life? Okay, yeah, we do. How many of you have someone in your life who you feel like, they absolutely understand the gospel. They know it, but they say no. 
right? Not as many of us, but that's there too, isn't it? That's the kind of person God is talking about here. And he's talking here about, in this situation, those who know the truth about God, they know the truth about uh, uh, Christ and the gospel, but they don't want it. As it says in verse 12, what they choose not to believe it because they have pleasure in something else. They, they want to do something else. They don't want to have to maybe to surrender to God and to live the way that he says. And so in, when the rapture occurs, these people... My understanding is that God is going to say, okay, you chose, you didn't want to believe. Okay, you get your choice. Man, that's a scary thing, isn't it? How many times does God have to, how many opportunities does God have to give us to be saved? Actually, he has to give us none, but he gives us some, doesn't he? He gives us more than we deserve. So nobody will be able to claim this isn't fair. No. They are getting their heart's desire, and it's related to truth. They have chosen to reject truth. And then again, verse 13 at the end, you're saved when you believe in the truth. So the truth really matters, doesn't it? Consider some things that are true that really matters as we look at this passage of Scripture and consider what the Scripture says. Now, what are some of the truths? Are you must believe the truth of the gospel in order to be saved, right? Okay, what we're talking about here is you have to understand that here's the truth, that there is a God. He is a holy God. He is offended by sin. He has told us what's right and wrong. Every one of us have disobeyed God. We've all gone our own way. None of us measure up to God's standards. We've all sinned against the holy God. And, and because of that, when we stand in judgment before him, we would be found guilty, and guilty leads to hell. That, that is where we are naturally headed. Okay, And that is true. And it is important that we understand that. But there's more truth. The truth is that God loves us and doesn't want that for us. And so he sent his son into the world. God's son becomes a human being. The man Jesus lives a perfect and sinless life, dies on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, for all of them, rises again from the dead, and now he offers to you and I, if you will acknowledge that you have sinned against me and you need a Savior, and you understand who I am, that I am Jesus, I am the Son of God, I am the Lord, and you will say, okay, I believe. I am receiving Jesus my Savior. I'm turning away from my own abilities, my own ways of handling things, my own approach. I'm turning away from that. I'm turning to you, Lord. I'm surrendering myself to you. I receive your gift of salvation. See, that's true. That's, that's the truth of the gospel. And if a person rejects that, they can't be saved, can they? Because there is no other way to be saved other than to respond to the truth of the gospel. Okay? And so we see that here. They did not receive a love of the truth. They didn't choose to value truth more highly than something else. They didn't choose to... But So for me, God worked in my life just like he works in everybody's life. And this talks about the Holy Spirit working in us. In April of 1975, and I won't go through all the events, but man, they're very clear that Friday night he finally brought me to the point where I said, okay, God, I get it. And, and I, I turn away from all of this to you. 
I believe, I receive Jesus as my Savior. You see, at that point, I, I chose truth, the truth of the gospel over everything else that was after me in my life. Okay? And so you must believe the truth of the gospel in order to be saved. Second thing that we learn from this passage, and it's reinforced through the rest of the scripture, is this, that Satan's most effective weapon is deception. Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. And actually, he, he lied to Adam and Eve. You will not die. That's what he said. And he deceived them. And so his weapon is deception. So understand that, that as you go out and about in your life, that what the enemy is going to bring against you are things that are not true. Things that maybe are mostly true. But there's deception in it. His most effective weapon is deception. And finally, truth is not just an intellectual issue. It's a heart issue. Now, we might not think that. We might think, we start talking about truth, and I like right away, me, I start talking about logic, right, and, and the laws of non-contradiction. Also, we think about truth in that way. But the Bible teaches us that there's always a heart component to how a person responds to the truth. We saw this in verse 12. What's it say? Middle of verse 12, they did not believe the truth. Why? Because they had what? They had pleasure and unrighteousness. They, they loved something else. Their heart was set on something else. And so therefore they said no to the truth. There's always a heart component, a heart aspect of a person's response to the truth. Psalm 15 um, kind of illustrates this. It's, the question says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and does what? Speaks the truth where? In his, in his where? In his mind. Nowhere. In his heart. Okay, so see, there is a heart aspect. Because if someone's, well, let's just, let's just talk about this. If your heart is yielded to God, you will yield to the truth. Okay? If your heart is yielded to God, you will yield to the truth. And um, this is true even for that unsaved person who's being drawn by the Lord. In John chapter 7, they're challenging Jesus. How do we know that what you're saying is really true? That what you're teaching us is really from God. It's really true. How do we know that? And Jesus said, if anyone is willing to do God's will, you'll know whether or not what I'm saying to you is true. The issue was not intellectual. It was whether their heart was yielded, whether they were willing to do. Now, you start thinking about that in your own life. Okay, let's, let's get another thought. If your heart is pushing back against God, you push back on the truth. Because the truth is going to, you know, it's, it's what God is telling you. So you're pushing back on God from your heart, you're going to push back on the truth. If your heart is saying no to God, you will say no to the truth. Okay, so do you see the heart connection? And it's, it's absolutely true that, that these things, wow, so how much does the condition of your heart matter? Proverbs 4.23, 
Guard your heart. Because out of it spring all the issues of life. Even your understanding and willingness to say yes to the truth. And so this idea, if if a, a person's heart is saying no to God, they'll say no to the truth. How do people say no to the truth? Here's some ways. Now, this is not ways I'm suggesting, okay? But the ways that people say no is they ignore it. So just ignore it, right? Anybody ever do that when someone, you know, wants to? We can do that without sticking our fingers in our ears and sticking out our tongue. We can just ignore it. Not going to listen. Not going to go there. We can deny it. Well, no, that really isn't true. We can do that. We can reject the truth. And as we aren't arguing with, we just say, no, don't want it. And here's the one that's probably the most dangerous for us. We can reshape the truth. Now, we can't really reshape it, right? But we can reshape it in our own minds. Well, it doesn't really mean that. kind of means this. Well, how do you know that? Well, if I'm honest, it's because I like this better than this. And so, this is often where, you know, um, it's where people resort, whether agnostics, atheists, yeah, or Christians who aren't walking with the Lord. You're doing your own thing. You have figured out how to rationalize it. See, in your heart, you've chosen pleasure in unrighteousness rather than the truth. Now, I think probably if we talk today and we go around the room, most of you would say, I do want to know the truth, and I want to respond to the truth. I want to believe it. I want to live my life according to it. That that really is, if, if you know Christ as Savior, I think deep down that really is your heart's desire. Do you always, do you always feel good about the truth? I'm talking about your feelings. See, here's what happens. It's, it's the, the place where we're most likely to struggle, and that's when we say, well, I don't feel like it's true. Maybe I know it's true. I don't feel like it's true. All right? Let's, let's, let's think about this in our, our lives a little bit. Think about in your life people who are in authority over you. Okay? In family relationships, there are authority structures. Parents and children, husbands and wives, how that works. Certainly God has authority over us all. In a workplace, someone, probably the authority over you at some point. In our country, the, the government and the laws, right? We're all under authority somewhere. Alright? And so the authority is saying, this is the way it's going to be. And you're like, man, I, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel this. How are you going to deal with it? Well, what does God say about authority? Boy, that's, I probably opened a big can here that we don't have time to scoop out. Um, generally speaking, God says that legitimate authority, the kind of authority that he has set up, that we are to follow it unless it requires us to sin against God. Then we must say no to the authority. But that means, what if I don't like it? If it's a legitimate authority, I need to do what? I need to say yes to it. Okay? Well, what if I don't feel like they're right? 
Well, are you going to have to sin against God to follow their, what they're saying? No. Well then, <laughs> you get the idea? This is how God would say. But I don't feel like it's true. All right? Pastor Davis said it to you many times, and I've said it to you, and so I'm saying it to you again today. Whatever God says is always true, no matter how I feel. Can you read that with me? Whatever God says is always true, no matter how I feel. And so we must learn to evaluate our feelings on the basis of what's really true. Now, does that mean that your feelings are meaningless, don't pay any attention to them? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Because let's say something comes along and all of a sudden you, your, your, your emotions get all lit up. And you're going, wait a minute, I don't know about this. Hey, it's okay at that point to re-examine the truth. To say, wait, what is rich? Maybe I'm missing it here. And really look at the truth. Look at the Word of God. You know, talk to other mature Christians and really decide what really is true here. And if you discover that you were wrong about what's true, then adjust your perspective. Go forward. But if you look at this and go, you know what? That still really is true. I gotta go with truth. I gotta go with truth. So if you're going to struggle with something, struggle with your feelings. Don't struggle with trying to struggle with trying to change your feelings. Don't try to struggle with changing the truth. Okay, it's not going to work. So I don't feel like it's true. You learn to evaluate your feelings on the basis of truth. And the second way you're going to struggle with these feelings or deal with this thing is this. And I've said it to you before again. And I sometimes I apologize, but I'm not apologizing because you need to hear it again. Learn to put the controlling truth on the right side of the buck. Okay, that sounds crazy, maybe to you at first, but let's, let's walk our way through this a little bit. What I'm talking about is that we have sentence structure, uh, and you get a grammar lesson here on Sunday morning, okay? So we have the, this, this, it's a, a compound sentence, where there's two big thoughts, and this first thought comes here, and then we have the word but, and then on the right side of the word but, we have more information. And, and here's the way it goes when our feelings are challenging to us. We say this, I know that I'm supposed to forgive this person, but I feel like I would be letting them off the hook. Now, by the way, you can't let people off the hook for their sins. They, they're responsible to God for that. But we get that. We feel this way, right? And so we want to say, we got to put the truth that's supposed to control on the right side of the bus. So we're going to swap these two things. We're going to say, I feel like if I forgive this person, I'm letting them off the hook. But I know I need to forgive this person. Because whatever truth you put behind that but is going to be what's going to govern your life. And, and you may have to really wrestle with this. Because you'll say that, and then you go, nope. <laughs> no, no, i got to swap it back. And, and you keep, you got to keep telling yourself the truth this way. Putting the truth on the right side of the butt. Now, this is a process. It doesn't just happen magically. Uh, and the psalm writer in Psalm 86 prayed this to God. He says, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And by fear, the name means to be submissive to you, to give you a rightful place in my life. I will walk in your truth, but I'm having heart problems here, God. I'm having a struggle here. I'm going to walk in your truth, but 
I need you to work in my heart. Okay, so that's the process. And that's what I mean. That's where you keep flipping the truths back and forth. And no, you got to keep fighting that battle and keep fighting that battle so that your heart is finally united with the truth. Okay. And the goal is this. In 1 Samuel, it says this, a challenge to serve him in truth with all your heart. And so truth really, really, really matters. Not just for getting saved, for everything else in your life. You gotta go to the Word of God and say, what is true? And God, I, I'm gonna yield my life to you in this. My thinking about things, my positions on issues, how I interact with people, what I do, what my habits are, what I accept in my life, and what I reject in my life. On and on it goes. We gotta pursue what's true and then yield to God in our hearts about it and go with it. Now, some quick conclusions about truth both from our passage today and from a bigger picture in the Scripture. And the first one is this, that Jesus is the ultimate standard of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, okay? I am the truth. So anything that leads you to a contradiction about who Jesus is, about what he's done, about what his word says, anything that would contradict that, then you say, okay, it's not true not true. Second thing is this, that the Bible reveals the truths we need to understand and live by. In Peter's second letter, he says that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in the scripture. He's given it to us. All right. And so that's good news. You don't got to go around trying to figure out now which truths are most important. Just get in the word. Now, some of you can say, well, that's fine, but I don't understand a lot of the Bible. I'm going to, as if I can, but I'm going to give you permission not to worry about that. Okay? Right now, you don't have to worry about what you can't understand the Bible. But you better pay attention to what you do understand. Right? Start there. You settle that issue. Uh, and it is the Word of God. Jesus, in praying for us before he left the earth, prays to his Father and says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. Okay, the word of God is true. That's got to that's gotta be what settles the issues of, of our morality, settles the issues of our money, settles the issues of our relationships. Settles it. Okay, it is his word, it's truth. And so crucial, we go back, we need to receive a love of the truth, right? We need to believe the truth. And finally, truth always wins. Like in always. Do you know what I mean by that? Truth isn't changed whether you believe it or not. You think if I don't believe it, then it's not true? Anybody at home? We don't get to determine what's true. What's true is true. We need to learn what's true and then yield ourselves to it and live accordingly. And so way back in my early years of Christianity, I memorized a, a verse from Scripture that really served me well. And it's this, Psalm 119, verse 128. It says, therefore, talking to God, 
all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I consider to be true. So here's the thing. I've read the whole Bible a number of times. You know what? I don't, I still don't know everything that's in the Bible. Anybody here know everything that's in the Bible? Uh, we don't, do we? I don't always remember what I've read, what it says, but I have reached this determination that I consider what it says to be true, whether I remember it or not. Let me give you some really weird example. It's, it's not in the Bible. I'm making this up, okay? But let's assume there was a part in the Bible that I didn't remember, and, and I, I opened up my Bible one day, and I start reading, and I look, and it says, whoa, it says, if you have hair, okay, I got some. Whatever hair you have, you should dye green, as a reminder to you and a testimony to others that God alone gives life. Okay, hang on. I, actually, I'm making that, but the idea is, if I came upon that, this verse is crucial. That verse is crucial. Because if I have not already settled that whatever God says is true, I'm going to go, wait a minute, I don't know if this is, I don't know, right? No, no. Now, thankfully, he didn't say that. But do you get the point? That we need to settle in our hearts and minds once and for all, and then remind ourselves of it again, that whatever God has said about anything is true. I consider it to be true. I've already settled that issue. And see, that's how we have a love of the truth. That's how we value truth the way we ought to. That's how we give truth its rightful role in our lives. So that whenever we're rolling along here and, and we're reading, and I read again, and it reminds me that, wow, you know that person? You didn't forgive that person, really. You know what? I may wrestle with this, but I've already settled it. God says it. It's true. I need to do what God says. Truth really matters. It matters if you don't know the Lord as your Savior yet. It matters because you need to take care of that. You need to, to turn to Him in faith and receive Christ as Savior. It matters if you're a Christian. <sighs> Safe to say, Dave, Deb, Glenda, most of the people that we talk to who find themselves with big struggles in their life at some point aren't believing and acting on what's really true. This is the reality. So truth really, really matters. Let's love the truth. Say to God, oh God, I want to love your truth. Let's pray. Father, we do come for you and say to you, we want to love your truth and to, to choose it and to believe it and to surrender ourselves to it, meaning we surrender ourselves to you. Show us those places in our lives, Lord, where we're loving something else more, where we're having pleasure and unrighteousness instead of what's really true and going with that. Father, help us to be consciously yielding ourselves that whatever you say is always true, whether I feel like it's true or not. Help me to, to remember, Father, to say that whatever I'm feeling but what you say is true. I pray we'd be a people marked by living lives that are yielded to 
and demonstrating your truth, which is the truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.